Now, the David Thomas survey was uh, named after a man who was the uh, attorney general for the Republic of Texas while it was uh, during the 1836 revolution. And I don't think he survived the war. He was a young man, and uh, he didn't survive the war. And so his grant, uh, and the grant named after him there, was given to his heirs, I'm sure, and that's where he 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 got his grant. But he didn't. I'm sure he was never on it. I do not know who Wilkinson Sparks was. Then going west of that, you come to the survey that I have had quite a little bit to do with, and that I know a whole lot about the history of it, and that is the William Brown Survey Number Two. That is practically in the middle of the what is known as the peninsula, and it runs back. It runs from the river, of course. Uh, back to just about uh, where, oh, about three or four hundred yards from from Bee Creek, where the high road runs through. It didn't go back as far as the creek. Now, I have the original grant that was signed by Governor Wood in 1848. Now, Governor Wood was the second governor of Texas after it became a state, and uh, and after it had become uh, gotten into the United States. And he signed this grant to a William Brown, or the assignee of William Brown. It so happened back in those days we had, more or less, uh, we had two ways of getting land grants, or maybe three. Land was the cheapest thing in Texas right after the, the uh, revolution in 1836 because here was a group of people that it had uh, 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 a land that was bigger than most nations, and it all belonged to the state. And so they were very free with it. Their legislature and the, the governing powers of the state of Texas and the Republic of Texas, they were very free with the land because they had a whole lot more of that than they had money. And so uh, uh, I'll, say, I'll say this, that this was called a head right. And that uh, uh, was given to, uh, you'd give a, a single man 160 acres and a married man 320 acres. And a married man with a family would get 640 acres. And the... the uh, the David Thomas survey was only 320 acres. The uh, Wilkerson Park survey, I'm sure, was at least 640. And in some instances, you, you'd call your banner certificate. If you got a, a banner certificate for serving in, in the Revolutionary War against Mexico, you could get 1,280 acres. And I'll get to that about um, because Mr. T.J. Chambers did get 1,280 acres in T.J. Chambers survey number 504, which uh, Redbud Trail and and, and uh, uh, runs through it, and Yopon Valley runs through it, and they're all south of the peninsula. But going back to the Brown survey, I tried to find out who William Brown was. Now, there were three William Browns mentioned in the Book of Texas. One of them was uh, uh, not a veteran of the Battle of Goliad, because the Battle of Goliad produced very few veterans. Most of them were buried the next day after the Mexicans took the, took the fort. But there was a William Brown that participated in that battle, and, of course, that was uh, a number of years, at least eight years before, or ten years before the grant was given to William Brown in 1848. So he may have been that William Brown, and he may have been one of the others mentioned in the, in the uh, book of Texas as, as coming into Texas. But he gave his head right, uh, or signed it, to uh, uh, one of the, uh, to a fellow named Renick, I believe it was. And Mr. Renick then uh, immediately started about getting rid of it, uh, getting some money out of it. So he sold the east half of the, and they called it the lower half of the William Brown survey to a fellow named Alfred Smith in 1855. Now, Mr. Alfred Smith, uh, I, I bought the bull property from, or Mr. Holloway and I bought the bull property from, uh, from Mr. Alfred Smith's grandchildren or great-grandchildren. But Mr. Alfred Smith, uh, his background is this. He lived in Austin about 
uh, that time, and he needed wood for his uh, cooking and for his heating. And so he uh, got this land, more or less, to buy, to, to have a place to get wood. And uh, he owned uh, the property where the uh, land office, state land office building is now, just east of the Capitol. He also owned the property where the American Bank Tower is, on West 6th Street. He owned the property where the American National Bank was located, just west of the Scarborough Building, on uh, West 6th Street. And th those properties were acquired uh, about, uh, about the time of the Civil War, so that is much over 100 years ago. And then, by uh, inheritance, uh, Mr. Smith's uh, uh, descendants, the, uh, the Bull family, uh, and the Mitchell family, uh, inherited this, uh, what you'd call the lower half, of the 320 acres of the, of the William Brown Survey. And it so happens that at the time Mr. Sterling Holloway and I bought 160 acres, which was the portion of the property that belonged to the Bulls, uh, it had been in their family since 1855 until 1958, a little over 100 years. And uh, the pro property that joined it on the north belonged to uh, the Bull family's cousins, Joe Mitchell and his family. And uh, Joe Mitchell still owns much of his land. He sold uh, a part of it last year, but he still owns the land that uh, his great-grandfather owned that fronts on the lake, and that's where Joe now lives. Now, that would be the, the uh, something about the east part of the Brown Survey. And at this time that uh, the, uh, this was going on, about the 1870s, right after the Civil War, and, and uh, people were settling down into their uh, home life, uh, this fellow uh, Chambers that I was talking about, T.J. Chambers, he was the uh, uh, Major General uh, on the Texas side during the Revolutionary War, and, war and was a he, he was a money man and a banker, and he uh, uh, really came to Texas in 1824 uh, under a contract with the American states of Coahuila and Monclovia. And uh, he was a lawyer, and he was to set up a judicial system for the two Mexican states, and for that, he was to get seven leagues of land from the states of Coahuila and the states of Monclovia. And so Mr. Uh, Chambers had worked on this for quite a little while, setting up this uh, uh, judicial system. And then when the Revolutionary War broke out, he swapped sides and become uh, a Texan and was interested in the Revolutionary War. Well, of course, uh, his grants from the Mexican government more or less went down the drain because a lot of them had not, a lot of this land that he was to get from the two Mexican states had not been surveyed out and he was just going to take it in due time. But... Anyway, uh, Mr. Chambers had, uh, he'd run for governor of Texas two times after it become a state. He got defeated each time. And then uh, up in the, I believe it was in the 60s, that, that uh, he was assassinated in what is now called Chambers County, but at the time of his assassination, it was uh, called, uh, it was a part of Galveston, Texas. But uh, his widow, Abby Chambers, uh, uh, married another man, and, and they went on with these uh, uh, real estate endeavors for, for, for the Chambers estate. And so there's a fellow named Dewell who had the power of attorney from the Chambers to, uh, and they had gotten William Brown out of it or a fellow Renick out of the title somehow or another, and they got the 320 acres that is known as the upper half of the Brown Survey. And they had it subdivided into 10-acre tracts for the purpose of selling the people who lived in Austin and they could come across the river and, and get wood for their cooking and for their heating. And they started that about the early part of the 1870s. And I have uh, uh, an abstract of each of those 10-acre blocks. There were 27 of them that I know of, and then there was a, a hunk of it that was over on the on the river that was not divided into 10-acre blocks. But the uh, 
uh, you can see what happened to that area. It was quite active between, uh, say, 1870 and, and 1892. There was quite a lot of traffic going from the city of Austin over to this area, and they cut the wood off and, and hauled it back home. And, of course, a, 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 an ordinary family in Austin uh, would use quite a little bit of wood in a year. They'd go get, uh, uh, they cut it off, and it was it so happened that not too many of them were, knew where their 10-acre blocks were, and they'd just stop at the first strand of timber they come to and start to cut them. And they had this fellow named P.C. Taylor, uh, after whom Taylor Slew was named, uh, also got into the act by, uh, in the early 1870s, he made a contract with the, the railroads that were then building their lines into central Texas, and they didn't have creosoted pine for their ties in those days. They had to get something else to put down for them to lay their, tie, uh, lay their rails on. And so uh, Mr. Taylor made a, a deal with uh, some of the railroads to come over and, and sell them cedar. And they'd uh, cut the cedar down, and that didn't make ties they'd, they'd use for that purpose. And that, uh, the bigger trunks of trees, they'd uh, cut them up and make railroad ties out of them. So Mr. Taylor was in the business of furnishing railroad ties for these uh, railroads that were coming into central Texas. And he would cart his uh, 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 timber across the, the from the peninsula area over across to Taylor Slough. And there he had some amount of conveyance. I don't know how he got to the railroad with it, but that's where he, the way Taylor Slough became known as Taylor Slough. And, and of course, Mr. Taylor was not, uh, he didn't care where he cut the cedar, cedar. I know that he cut a lot of cedar off of what is now known as the Bull Mountain. And the Bull Boys tell me that they didn't, their grandfather, their great-grandfather, did not permit him to do that. And they had what they called a cedar war. There was a, some bullets passed and a few things like that. But I remember that when I first started fooling around out here after 18... Uh, I mean, 1936, uh, I found a big old uh, metal tar that came off of the old two-wheel carts that somebody used to tote the, the cedar from the, or the timber from the peninsula area over to the city area. And I carried that uh, up until about 1961 or two around with me, and then I lost it. And uh, it's still in the area, I'm sure. No one would tote it off, but it was about oh, uh, almost six feet high. And uh, this was just the metal rim off of one of the tires, and I found it back over in the peninsula area at one time when I was scouring around over there. Now, the, uh, the, the Chambers people owned a lot of the land in, in the Austin area. And uh, as a matter of fact, they owned and had a good claim to the capital ground of the state of Texas. So good that they filed a lawsuit at one time, and it, uh, their claim was uh, so authentic that the state of Texas paid them $20,000 for their interest in the capital grounds, which was probably all the capital grounds were worth at the time they made the settlement. And so Chambers was quite active in, in this area, and when they'd sell a, a lot in town to someone to build a home on, then they would also sell a 10-acre block over on the upper half of the Brown Survey so that the people could uh, have a place to go get timber. Now, I started working on this uh, upper half of the Brown Survey in about 1936. The short boys who were working for me over south of the peninsula on the land south of Bee Creek and in that area that I owned at that time, they told me about all this state land that is uh, all the way back in the, in, the, in the peninsula area. Now, I might say this, that in... 1928, when I bought my first land, which is located up where the county line restaurant is now, I bought 139 acres in there. At that time, there were no roads of any kind that run north off the Bee Cave Road 
in, the, in the, not only the peninsula area, but the area that lie a mile north of the BK Road to the to the Bee Creek. They were, it was completely isolated. Now there was a road that they called the Rocky River Road that came off about came off the BK Road and run northerly about where the uh, Ryland store is now, and run off down across the the Balcones Fault area, which is just a terrible rocky thing, to the bottom of where the river Bree, where where the Tom Miller. Uh, uh, dam is, and people would go down there, down this rocky road, and fish. That was, uh, a, 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 they were, it wasn't a road. And then the only other way to get back into that area, the potential area, off the BK Road, was up uh, where the Royal Ranch House is now, and you'd go through the through their stock pen there by the old house, and work around behind on the north side of the present Nike site, and then go down in the area where where the the San Stephen School Road is located. There were some people that. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a little while. They had bought land down in there about 1914 and 15 along in there. But there were no roads in 1928 and 29. When I first started there, no roads leading from the BK Road back into the peninsula area at all. And uh, these uh, short boys knew about that, and they thought that land all belonged to the state. And they told me that. And being a lawyer, I knew that all the land in Texas had been granted, in this area of Texas at least, had been granted to somebody, and the state didn't own it. So I said about finding out who did on it, since nobody was using it and taking care of it, and nobody seems to care about it. And so, in abstracting all of this land, I found out uh, what I've just told you about the upper half of the chamber survey, I mean of the Brown survey, being cut into 10-acre blocks and owned by the chamber's family, and, and being sold to people that they sold land to in, in town, or just sell it to them, for uh, some town people, for, for their wood. And uh, it so happened that one of these tracts of land that they sold over there that uh, I got title to by limitations, I'll tell you about it later, belonged to a governor of Texas, Mr. A.J. Hamilton, who was governor of Texas about uh, ten years after the Civil War. And, and then another one was uh, Mr. Zippelman family. They, they bought land over there on these ten-acre blocks. To, uh, he had been mayor of Austin and sheriff of Travis County. And I went to school with his grandson, one of the Zimpleman boys. And old man Jake Zimpleman was one of our pet jurors. And the first time I, the first two or three years, I started practicing law in, in the early 30s. But anyway, the Zimpleman family owned it. Then the Cedars family owned five, uh, 10 or, or 20 acres over there in the, in the Brown Survey. And the Cedars family are the ones that now own the cash carry stores in Austin. Then there was a 20-acre block that belonged to the Griffin family. I believe it was Edmund Griffin. He came over uh, from Scotland or Ireland in the 1870s to, as a rock mason. And he came over uh, to, uh, to help this company that had made a deal with the state of Texas then to build their new capital for $5 million worth of land in the, up in the Panhandle. The XIT Ranch went to the Scottish company and, and they brought their own rock masons over from, from the old country. And the Griffin family was uh, a part of these people. And they bought... Uh, some land in the 1870s to, uh, over there, 20 acres of it in the upper half of the Brown Survey uh, for wood purposes. And they stayed in the family until last year when the heirs of Edmund Griffin sold it. And it's right next to some land that I now own, uh, Joyce and I own. But then uh, there, there were different transfers of land along in there, and I have a list of all those without going into detail on them. But most of them uh, most of this part of the, uh, of the Brown Survey lies west of what is now Toro Canyon Road. And the Bull Land and the Smith Land and the Mitchell Land lay on what is now east of the, of the Toro Canyon Road. And the only reason that, there, that of that is that I got title to this upper half 
of the uh, Brown Survey, approximately 200 acres of it. I got title to that in a lawsuit in 1850-51, and I, I got it by limitations. I uh, took charge of it and kept it for 10 years and used it for what it was supposed to be used for. And then I, I sued all the unknown heirs and legal representatives of the record title holders, and I got a judgment on it. Now, it so happened that when I started studying about uh, this uh, upper half and this 200 acres that I later got title to by limitations, I found out that uh, uh, by the tax rolls and by the assessment rolls that no one had assessed taxes on just uh, on this 200 acres from about 1890 on. And that's when I discovered that the, probably the reason for it was that they built the dam and these people did not have access to the land. And they'd probably already cut all the wood off of it anyhow. And so in the course of 10 or 20 years, uh, the use of the land had, had dissipated and, and they just forgot about it. And the people that owned it over there, uh, I'm sure they, they died before 1920, and their heirs didn't know, know anything about it. And I, did, I didn't know any of these people. And so then uh, uh, there was no way to get to it, and why would have been in Africa, so they didn't pay taxes on it. And I discovered that in for 40, uh, I guess from, 19, from 1890 uh, until 1930, when I started working on this thing, there had been no taxes paid on the 200 acres that I got limitation title on. The people who had been paying taxes, like the Griffins and the Cedars and some of the other, other the Isaacs people uh, paid taxes on it, and they didn't know where it was, had no idea. I contacted them, and they had they didn't know why they were paying taxes on it, but they sent them the tax uh, notices, and so they would pay taxes. So I did not claim limitations against those people. I only claim limitations against those who, who did not show enough interest in the land to pay taxes on it for 25, 30 years.